We are in a series through 1 Thessalonians. We are actually getting close to the end of 1 Thessalonians. Now, it's not the end of our series because we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians next, but we're at the end of 1 Thessalonians, and I want to give you a little bit of a roadmap here. This week and the next two weeks, we will finish 1 Thessalonians. And then Tyler Haynes is going to preach a message to us from Revelation 21. Uh, the week after that, and then we will go to Second Thessalonians following that. And I want to lay that out for you for a few reasons. One, this series is called Until He Comes. And the reason we're going to go to Revelation between these books is because that gives us that picture of Christ's return, the picture of what we hope in that day. I also want to say that because this Friday, we're going to have a chance to read through the book of Revelation together. Uh, here, here at the church at 6, we're going to read through the whole book of Revelation. And it'll take a little bit of time, but it's going to be a good night. And, and we believe that the Word of God, uh, particularly as we read through whole portions of it, is powerful and, and living and active. And so we, we want to just continue to press in to looking at our hope, remembering that Jesus is coming again, putting our faith in that day. As we round out the book of Thessalonians, we're in a section where Paul is it's kind of just giving them final instructions. He, he's about to close his letter, and, and just like before someone goes in an interview, and, and you say, no, no, straighten your tie, shake hands firm, you know, just, just anything you can think of in the interview, he's, he's just, what, what do I need to say to them before I close this letter? That's what he's doing right now. And so last week he talked about the relationships that we have with each other in the church. This week he's going to talk about the, the worship of God in the circumstances of our lives. Next week he's going to, he's going to talk about the Spirit and how we don't quench the Spirit in our lives. But, but what he's doing is he's wanting the church to live in light of his coming, wanting the church to live a certain way until Jesus comes again, to, 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 be, to be the light that he's called them to be, to glorify God, to walk in a way that pleases him until the day Jesus returns. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is our passage today. And before we read it, I want to do a little exercise with you guys. Uh, I want you to think about the very best thing that happened in your life in 2018. Take a minute, get that in your mind. What is the very best thing that happened in your life in 2018? Got it? Okay, I want, I want you to ask you now, how did that circumstance affect your worship of God? How did that situation affect your worship of God? Did it drive you closer to God? Or did it pull you further from God somehow? Did your joy in God increase? Or did it decrease? Did you pray more? Or did you pray less? Did it cultivate thankfulness? Or did it diminish thankfulness? Okay, now... I want you to think about the very worst thing that happened in your life in 2018. I want to ask the same question. How did that circumstance affect your worship of God? Did it draw you closer to him or further from him? Did your joy in God increase or decrease? Did it lead to more prayer or less prayer? Did it cultivate thankfulness or diminish thankfulness?
whatever your answers were to either of those questions, the, the question itself is actually a little misleading. Because circumstances, while, while we might feel this way, circumstances don't actually affect our worship of God. You might say, yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Of course they do. When this is happening, my, my worship's greater. When, it's, when this is happening, it's worse. But, but no, circumstances don't actually affect our worship of God. What they do is they expose our worship of God. They, they don't affect it. They expose it for what it really is. All circumstances, good ones and bad ones, are the litmus test for the depth and the purity of our worship of God. And this morning, God is calling us to grow as worshipers who, who worship him in a real life. In, in real life, we, we have every week of our lives, we have, we have highs and we have lows. We, we, have, we have victories and we have failures. We have, we have health and we have sickness. Our, our lives are marked by all sorts of circumstances. That's real life, right? We want to grow as worshipers of God in whatever life brings our way. That's what God is calling us to this morning. And so, with that said, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. And it's a short passage, and so we're going to read it a few times and just let it sink in for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The title of today's sermon is is Worship in Real Life. And and my prayer is that the Lord would would work in us, in, in, in me, in you, in Redeemer Church, to make us a people that are marked by deep worship of Him, no matter what is going on in our lives good or bad, highs or lows, that we would be a people that are consistently marked by deep worship of God. That our circumstances would expose those people worship the Lord. And these verses call us to do that, and and, and what they do is they teach us how we should worship God, when we should worship God, and why we should worship God. How we should worship, when we should worship, and why we should worship. That's, that's the outline of this text. And so let's just dive in to that first point, how we should worship God. How does God call us to worship him? And, and at this point, I just want to preface it by, by noting that many people's relationship with God functions in such a way that God is there for when we need him. God is there to make us feel good. God is there to help us when we're in trouble. God is there to to give us what we need. But that is not what God says in his word about our relationship with him. God calls us into a relationship with him in which he commands us to relate to him in a certain way. God 
God does not just say, please be my friend. No, no, God, God calls us into relationship with himself where he commands us, relate to me this way, worship me this way. And, and what it is, as we'll see, is, is that the way we relate to God is meant to magnify the greatness of God. God calls us in, into a relationship in which our, our acts of worship are always meant to magnify who he is, magnify his greatness through that relationship. It's, it's, it's not centered on us. It's a joy to us, but it's not centered on us. It is centered on him. We're going to see that as we go today. So, so how should we worship God? What has God said to us about this is how I want you to worship me? And the first thing he says is rejoice always. We, we worship God by rejoicing. We do it by rejoicing. Now, now what does that, what is rejoicing? What does it mean to rejoice? Well, well I'll give you uh, my own simple definition, and then I'll give you uh, C.S. Lewis's great definition, all right? So, so my own simple definition of rejoice is, is, is to rejoice is to give outward expression to inward delight. So that, that, that's what it means to rejoice. Now, now joy is, is that inward delight, right? But, but if you're rejoicing, then you are, you are somehow expressing that outward delight. You are somehow going to, to, to show it through your actions. That's what, that's what it means to rejoice. You've got this inward heart-level delight that is coming out. It's what C.S. Lewis says, it, it, it's enjoyment spontaneously overflowing to praise. Enjoyment spontaneously overflowing to praise. Oh, this morning I was, I was looking uh, at some pictures of the, the end of World War II. And what you see when you, when you type in end of World War II is, is you see throngs and throngs and throngs of people just having a party, and not just in one place, they were everywhere. You could go to Wisconsin, go to New York, go to Florida. The whole country was having a party because World War II ended. They were, they were giving outward expression. No one woke up and read the headline, the war is over, and just turned the page. No, no, it, it led to an inward life. That, that war was, was felt by all for the whole time that they were in it. Men, men were lost, fathers were away, and the war was over. That, that, that led to a delight. But they didn't just keep it to themselves. They, they went out and they had parties, and they danced, and they laughed, and they sang, and they celebrated. That's, that's rejoicing. That is rejoicing. It's an outward expression of inward delight. And, and here's the thing. God, he's, he's instructing us. He's, he's calling us. He's saying to us, not just have the outward expression, but have the inward delight and then express it. That, that's God's instructions to us this morning. He, he, he's, saying, he's saying, this is how you relate to me. You take inward delight in who I am. You take inward delight in what I've done, and then you let that express itself. As we think about expressions of joy, I've struggled with knowing what, what does that really look like. And what I'm convinced is that it, it really looks different for every one of us. But, but what I know is that no one keeps true joy inside. No one keeps real joy inside. And so God calls you each and every day to express your joy in him. And, and, and if you are not expressing it, then you need to ask yourself, where is that joy? 
Do I have it? Is it there? But, but God, God's command this morning, and we'll look at this more as we go, but God's command is, is have this delight in me and then give expression to it. Re- rejoice in the Lord. That, that, that's the first way he calls us to worship. And the second thing he says is to pray without ceasing. And so, so we rejoice in God and then we pray to God. We pray to him. Now, now what is prayer? What does it mean to pray? Well, again, simply, prayer is personally speaking to God in faith. Just very simple, true definition that prayer is is when you personally speak to the Lord with a heart of faith. When when you're doing that, when 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 whether it's out loud or inward or even in a journal, when, 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 when you are speaking to the Lord in faith, you are praying to him. And, and Paul says, pray. Pray without ceasing. Tim Keller says that prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. It's a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. So, so again, you get that personal emphasis. Prayer is something that is deeply personal. It is speaking from your own mind and heart to the Lord. And what Keller emphasizes is it's a response to the knowledge of God. And so a lot of people pray, right? But when Muslims pray, they are not praying according to the knowledge of God. It's not real prayer. It's not genuine prayer. And, and when we teach our children to pray, and, and, and we were doing this with Jack, we, we, Jack said, dear God, he says, dear God, you know, and we, we just go through it, and he prays, it's cute, but, but, but he's, not, he's not actually praying according to knowledge yet, right? It's, it's, not, it's not a prayer of faith. We're growing into that, but, but prayer, true prayer, is a response to the knowledge of God in which we hear him, and then we speak back to him. It's always rooted in the knowledge of God, but then, but then it's going back to him. Think about, think about a married, a married couple, and they, they get married and they, they know each other, they love each other. But as as the marriage goes on, as they get to know each other more, they, they be well. What they do is they get smartphones. All right, that's what they do. They get they get some smartphones, and and just to let you know, guys, Ben Brown got a smartphone this week, and so congratulations to him. He's not in here right now, but. But they get smartphones, and, and what you find is they go out to dinner, and you, and you guys have seen this, right? They're at dinner, and, and they're just both looking down the whole time at their phones, you know, just under the table, and they're not talking to each other at all, right? That They know each other. They, they love each other, but their relationship has become this, this non-communicative thing where, where, there, where there's, no more, there's no more actual relationship there, is there? It's, it's, just, it's just we're just... We know each other, but we're not doing anything with that knowledge. And we're not pursuing it anymore. Prayer, prayer is taking the knowledge of God and pressing into it through responding. It's taking what we know of God and saying, saying I really do want to know you, Lord, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to what you've shown me. I'm not just going to hear information and then walk away, but, but I'm going to hear your word and I'm going to respond by speaking personally to you. And, and that's what God instructs us to do. He calls us to pray. He instructs us to know him and then to relate to him in a personal way. So, so that's, that's instruction number two. We rejoice, we pray, and then and number three is we give thanks. We give thanks. To give thanks is, is just to express gratitude from the heart to God as the giver. 
to express gratitude from the heart to God, the giver. John Piper says it's acknowledging our need and God's fullness. That, that, that God, we had need and you met it. it we're, it's acknowledging that. But, but what it's not, what, it, what it's not is, is just an external act. So, so Christmas comes and you know, your, your kids need socks. They really need socks, and they're looking forward to opening the fire truck you got them, but before they get to that big last, that last present, they need socks, and, and, and their grandmother bought them the socks, and they open the socks up, and, and you know, they're really upset by well, socks. I don't want socks on a fire truck, and, and you know it's coming, but, but you tell them, say thank you to your grandmother right now, <laughs> right? That's not gratitude. That's not giving thanks, Right? They need to say it, but, but that, that's not what God's after in our lives. He's not, he's not after us just, just grumbling to him. I know I'm supposed to say thank you, so thank you. No, he, he wants gratitude from the heart to, for us to see how good he really is to us and to make it known to him, to, to say to him, thank you, Lord. These are the acts of worship that God calls us to have. This is how we worship God. We, we rejoice in him. We pray to him, we speak to him, we give thanks to him. These things should mark our worship all the time. And that leads to the next point. When should we do these things? When should we worship God? And look what he says. He says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. In other words, don't just rejoice sometimes. Don't let rejoicing be something that you sometimes participate in. But be someone who rejoices all the time. Don't let it stop. Don't let rejoicing stop. Now, we, we tend to rejoice when something good happens in our lives, right? When, when something good happens, that's when, that's when we, we really begin to, to sense that, that delight and even delight towards God, but, but, but we, we let that circumstance lead to rejoicing, but then when something good is not happening, it's, it's not really there, right? But, but no, Paul says, don't just rejoice sometimes. Don't just rejoice when good things are happening. Rejoice all the time. He, he also says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In other words, don't just pray when you feel like praying. Don't just pray when you need to pray. Don't just pray sporadically, but, but, but pray consistently. Pray urgently. Pray often. Pray regularly. He, he's not saying that somewhere in your subconscious, you, you always need to be praying a prayer. He, he is saying regularly, often, go to the Lord in prayer. And what, what that probably looks like is, is that you, you wake up every day and you spend time praying to God. But then even there, you don't, you don't end that time and, and, and stop praying. But as you go, you go in, you're going to work and you, and you say, God, God, bless me as I go into work. Help me as I go into work. You, you, you go over to the, the grocery store and you're praying, God, give me opportunities. You're, you're continu- continually praying to God. You're driving and you're praying prayers of rejoicing and confession. You, you are praying unceasingly. It's not that you never stop, but that, but that it is, it is a, a rhythm of your life. It's happening all the time. And, and you know, we tend to pray when something bad is happening to us, right? When, when, when something is going wrong, that's when prayer starts. God, help me with this. I need you with this. But, one, but once, it's, once everything's good, prayer seems to stop. He says, no, pray without ceasing. Don't, don't just pray when you feel like you need to. Pray all the time. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, don't, don't just give thanks in, 
in special circumstances. Don't just give thanks in certain circumstances, but, but give thanks in, in whatever situation you find yourself. You can look at that situation and you have a reason to say thank you to the Lord. We, we tend to give thanks when bad circumstances become good circumstances, right? That, that, that's when we say thank you. We, when, when we feel a need, when, when we feel an issue, when we feel a problem, and then, and then God meets that need, we say thank you, Lord. That's good. We should do that. But, but Paul says, don't just save your thanksgiving for when he meets your needs. Thank him all the time. Thank him no matter what is going on, even if you are in need, even if you are in poverty, even if you are in trouble, thank God in that circumstance. Thank God in that. And so we should be rejoicing, and we should be praying, and we should be giving thanks, and we should be doing all three of those things all the time. That's what God says. That's what God calls us to do. Now, why? Why should we do that? Look at verse 18. He says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This sentence, this, this basis that he gives for, for, for doing these things, it, it, it serves two ways. One thing it does is, is it shows us that God commands these things, but it also shows us that God enables these things. It shows us that he commands it and he enables us. Let's look at both of those. Why should we worship God? Because he commands it. For this is the will of God. So, so, so church, you need to hear the Lord this morning that these are not suggestions. These, this is not just good advice. God doesn't just hope you do these things. These are commands from God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe who has redeemed you in Christ. He is commanding you today Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And if we don't do those things, we are in sin. If you do not rejoice today, you are sinning against God. If you don't spend your life in in consistent, regular prayer to God, you are sinning against Him. If you don't give thanks to Him in all circumstances, you you are rebelling against Him. You are sinning against Him. This is God's commands to us. But we need to also see that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. They are good commands. I mean, what what Cain commands his people? Rejoice! Rejoice! Have joy in me! God, God is commanding us to have inward delight that expresses itself in rejoicing. God is commanding us to, to have a a vital communion with him through prayer. God is commanding us to have thankful hearts. These are good commands. They're part and parcel of God's will for us in Jesus Christ. So so what has God willed for you in Christ? God God has willed to save you from your sin. God, God has willed to adopt you into his family. God has willed to give you a home with him forever. And until that day comes, God has willed for you to live a life that is continually marked by joy and prayer and thankfulness. That that, that is God's will for your life. They're good commands. That's why we should obey them. We should see that, 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 that the Savior, Creator God has commanded these things in my life and they're good things that I want to run in. 
But, but here's the reality is that we, we do disobey them, don't we? And I imagine that we will always disobey them at some level. So we're called to rejoice always, but we don't rejoice always. Why don't we rejoice always? It's because we're finding our joy in something other than God. When joy stops in your life, it is a sure sign that you're looking to something else for joy. There's an idol in your life. Wherever joy stops, there is an idol there. You have replaced God in your heart with something else that you are looking to to bring you that delight. You've replaced God with something else that you're looking to to bring you that satisfaction. And so we don't rejoice because we're replacing God. Why don't we pray without ceasing? It's because we don't value Communion with God. We, we would pray without ceasing if we treasured communion with God the way that we ought. The more we treasure God, the more we will pray to God. In Christ, access is unhindered. The Holy of Holies is opened through Jesus Christ. We, we can go to him anytime, anywhere, and yet we don't. We, we just go thoughtless throughout our day. We don't, we don't, we don't think of him. We don't, we don't come to him. We don't speak to him. And it is an indicator that you're not valuing God like you ought. And again, that, that means that you're valuing something else. You're looking to something else. There's an idol in your life. Why don't we give thanks in all circumstances? It's because we don't believe the promises of God. Now, there's a couple levels to this, all right? Because you may say that you believe, Romans 8, 28, God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Could I ask you, do you believe that? And, and, and most of you say, yes, I believe God works all things for my good. So, so then why don't you give thanks in all circumstances. It's because you don't believe that that good he has said is actually best. You're believing that, yeah, God says he works it for my good, but I really want this to be my good over here. Because what, what is the good in Romans 8.28? It tells you a few verses later, it says that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. That you, that you become like Christ. And when God's working in your life and bringing things into your life that are making you like Christ, but you're not valuing being like Christ, you're not believing that that's actually the best, then you're not going to give thanks for those things. You're not going to recognize that this is God's goodness to me. And you might, you might be like the kid who says, thank you for the socks. But you're not from the heart saying, Lord, thank you for this. So, so this is how circumstances we, we, we think they affect our worship, right? We, we think if this was happening, if this was happening, then, then I would have more joy, then I, then I would have more delight, then, then, then things would be better, but, but no, circumstances have nothing to do with our worship of God except that they expose what's there. They, they just show 
Is God really the one you're worshiping? Or do you have idols in your hearts? Do you have idols that you're looking to for joy? Idols that you're looking to for, for trust? Idols that you're looking to for peace? And again, because we're never going to do this perfectly, it means we always will. And here's, here's the good news, is that when God, through our circumstances, exposes these idols, it's not meant to crush us. It's an act of love because he is calling you out of those things that will never satisfy you. God, it's a, it's a good exposing where God is calling you into the joy of his forgiving and enabling grace. So before we go any further this morning, we, we need to take a little inventory of our own hearts and, and, and say, well, am I rejoicing in the Lord? And, and have I been praying unceasingly to him? And, and is my life filled with thankfulness to him no matter what is going on? And, and, and if not, then what? why? What, what idol is there? Is it the idol of fulfillment? That, that I just need this to happen in my life to be happy? Listen, what, whatever that is that you think will make you happy, it, it won't. It's, it's a false promise that if that happens, but you're not rejoicing today, you won't be rejoicing then. Is it the idol of comfort that, that I want my life to just be easier than it is? That, 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 that's a false promise. It's never going to be good enough. You're always going to feel this, this restlessness. You're always going to feel this, this emptiness. Whatever the idols are, God is exposing it in an act of love to say, turn away from that thing. Turn away from it and enter into real joy. Enter into real love. Enter into something that, that, is, that is incomparably better than what you're worshiping. And so we come to him and we repent and we, we, we don't just try harder, but we say, God, I failed. I do have idols. I've turned away from you. I've, I've, I've sought my joy elsewhere. And I, I deserve punishment for these things. I deserve to be separated from you. I don't, I don't deserve this joy. I don't deserve this goodness. But, but, but we come, we say, but through Christ, you have extended forgiveness to me. And here's the thing, at, at this moment, as we do that, as we repent and we say, I don't, I don't deserve you, but you've, you've done it all, that's when we begin to see that, he's, that he is a joy. It's, it's in the process of repentance and, and, and receiving forgiveness that we come to realize how joy-giving God really is. It's, it's, it's through coming and repenting and being exposed and being forgiven. And so what, what happens is as we come and are forgiven, for these idols, God then shows us his glory through the cross. And through the cross, he then enables us to obey these things. And so think about it, what it says again. For this is the will of God. That, that phrase, before the gospel came, that was a condemning sentence in our lives. This is the will of God, and you are not doing it, and you deserve condemnation. You deserve separation because you have not given God the worth that he is due. You have not loved him. You have not found your joy in him. You have not trusted him. But then he says, in Christ Jesus for you, that, that, that condemning sentence becomes 
an enabling joy to us because God provides enabling grace in Christ Jesus. So, so just think about this. How does Christ enable us to rejoice always? How does Christ enable us to do that? Well, what he does is he purchases an unassailable joy for us. That's what Christ does. So, so Jesus sent his disciples out on a mission. And, and they came back and they said, they said, Lord, the demons are coming out. People, people are repenting. The kingdom is growing. And, and you know what he said to them? He said, don't rejoice that demons obey you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So good things, right? These aren't just bad. The good circumstances expose an idol that was there. And Jesus says, don't find your joy in something that can be taken away. Don't find your joy in something that isn't forever. Don't find your joy in something fleeting, but find your joy in this, that I have saved you and that your name is written in the book of life and that one day you will live forever in the kingdom of God without sin in his presence. Find your joy there. It's unassailable because I've paid for your sins. It's secure. No one can take it from you. So, so, so whatever's going on in your life, you can rejoice. Whatever's going on in your life, you can rejoice because that's true. Because you are his. How does Christ enable us to pray without ceasing? Well, well again, if, if prayer, if we pray when we value communion with God, then how are we going to grow to value that communion? By knowing God, right? By knowing him, by seeing how, how good he is, by, by, by realizing that his presence is better. And that happens through Christ, in Christ, through the cross, in forgiveness, in grace, we see this God is better than anything else, and he invites me into relationship with him. Yes, I want to pray. I want to spend my days with this Lord. I don't want to leave his presence. I just want to continually go to him because he is so good, and Christ moves us there. Christ moves us there, and then how does Christ enable us to give thanks in all circumstances. Well, Corinthians tells us that Jesus is the yes to all the promises of God. The way Paul says it elsewhere in Romans, he says, he says, He who did not spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, this is how we need to think about our circumstances. So that no matter what they are, God, you gave your son for me. Why would I doubt that this is good? You gave your son for me. Why would I think that you're doing anything other than blessing my life right now? No matter what it is, if he gave his son for you, he's going to give you all things. He's working all things for your good. He's working all things for your glory. And you know it because you look to the cross and you see what he's already done. There's nothing greater he could give. There's nothing better he could give. And so anything that's inside of that, you, you, you can be assured this is coming from a father who loves me and who wants my very best. And you can say, God, thank you. From the heart, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know why you're doing it, but thank you, Lord, because I know it's good, because you gave your son for me. Real life is going to come at full speed this year. This year, you will have good days, and you'll have bad days. You'll have health, and you'll have sickness. You'll have promotions, and you'll have firings. You'll have victories, and you'll have failures. You'll have births, and you'll have deaths. 
in your life. As a church, that's true. We're going to face all those things this year. Yet no matter what happens, we have the hope of salvation. We have the delight of God's presence. We have the guarantee of all of God's promises. And so we should be marked this year continually by joy and by prayer and by thanking God until the day Jesus comes. That that should be what we are known for, church. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, that people look at your life and they say, that great thing that just happened to them, but it doesn't seem like that's really all that important to them. It seems like, it seems like they're, they're happy, but, but their joy is somewhere else. It's in, it's in their God. Or, or, or that, that terrible thing just, just happened in their lives, and, and how are they thanking God for that? And what happens is that we, we become a testimony to the greatness of God. This is how God shows his worth. It's, you know, like I said, there, there are people who think relationship with God is about us. And what they say is, you should be a Christian because he blesses my life, right? And that's cool. <laughs> that's, that's good. I mean, I mean that, that, that makes sense, right? Yeah, I want to be a Christian so I can get blessed. But, but, but what does that really say about God? What, what, what about this? You know what? You should be a believer. You should be a follower of Christ because even though life is hard, even though this is happening, even though my circumstances are this, God is better than all of that. And he has shown me that I don't need anything else but him. And, and, and my heart is so satisfied in him that anything could happen to me and I would have full joy and I would be thankful and I would just want to be with him. I, I don't desire anything else. That that is a relationship that shows the world the glory and greatness of God, the worth of God. We can say with the psalmist in, in the Psalms that, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When we say that, no matter what is going on, that shows the greatness and the glory of our God. So let's be a people who look to the cross every day so that we are continually marked by this kind of worship as a church. This, this morning, let's uh, sing and, and just put our trust again in the perfect wisdom of God in our lives and rejoice in that.